to Crossroads Church. If you're a visitor, thanks for, um, for coming. And I also want, especially want to talk to family about, you know, you just put your tithes and your offerings in a bag, and um, we recognize those of us who lead here, and particularly those of us who draw salaries here, and who, who, who choose to how to spend the funds for ministry here, are grateful that you trust this church family as a place to, you know, the word says, bring your tithes into the storehouse, and, and thank you for trusting this place with your, with your gifts, and I just think sometimes we should say thank you, so thank you, and um, okay, okay, fair enough, say you're welcome. Okay, okay. Now we've done the social, the, the response, that's good. Um, I, I love Proverbs, and I put this sticky over the top of my proverb, and I didn't memorize it, so let me pull this off. Okay, today I chose verse 6. Oh, I should have known this, should have known this one out of chapter 22. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? 22.6, that's a good one, parents. And um, that's actually a promise, we're going to be talking about the promises of God today. So that's not our text for today. I just mentioned that is a promise from God. It's a conditional promise from God. There are unconditional promises. Anyway, here we go. Um, we're starting a new series today. The title of the series, which who cares about the title, but, but it gives you an idea of where we're going. The title is Faithful God Promises for Life's Storms. And we're going to see that the word of God is, is full of um, promises. And there's no place like... God's word, because when God talks, the things he says are always, 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 always true. And in this series, we're going to look at God's exceedingly great and precious promises, which he is what he calls them. So I think the word, the word of God is, are, are full of promises, and we're going to see a lot of them together. We're going to start with one assertion, and that's this. God makes promises. Amen. He makes promises, and he just flat out promises that he's going to do some things. 2 Peter 1.4 describes that process in this way, and this is, a, this is a little slice of that whole passage. By Jesus, we been, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. The NIV, I looked at this passage in a lot of different translations. The NIV calls them very great and precious promises. The International Standard says precious and wonderful promises. The NASB, magnificent and precious promises. The message, absolutely terrific promises. The New King James, which is the translation that I lean to and my preferred preference is, uh, I like that one, it calls them exceedingly great and precious promises. And remembering that the word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit, God made some promises and these words are his own assessment about his own promises. This is what God thinks about his promises. Exceedingly great and precious what God thinks about him, that's, that's just crazy. And, and it's, it's good for us sometimes to think about what God's view of something is about himself. Exceedingly great and precious. Growing up in our house, you kind of had to have a sense of humor. To um, Well, no, if you, if you had one, if you didn't have one, we we're going to teach it to you. And um, I'm being charitable. Lisa would kind of come along behind and clean up the messes. But I had, you know, you can tell, you know my temperament and my personality. I kind of goof off a little bit more than I ought to. And um, so three kids in our household, you had to have a sense of humor, especially at the beginning of April. <laughs> there was a season there which I just considered... If you're not smart enough to read the calendar and know that there's a one at the beginning of April, you deserve whatever happened to you. And so, um, I mean, I did things to my sisters growing up. My sister Shelly, I loved picking on her. She was older, and I set her alarm clock. Like, you know, you set, you set a radio alarm clock for full volume on the most acid rock station you can for three in the morning. 
And, you know, if there was a way for me to make the lights flash back then, I would have done it. But, you know, almost waiting up till three to hear that thing go off and hear the things banging around in the room would just, it just was pleasure. <laughs> you know? And I did things to my kids. Um, you know, I had a friend, okay, in, in, in Living Water where I pastored before, there was a, there was a guy there, from one of the other pastors whose name was John. John had this great big car. It had more metal than any two cars of today. Big, long Buick Electra 225. Remember that car? Weighed 50,000 tons. I mean, it was like an aircraft carrier with wheels. And it was his car. It was fine. Nothing wrong with a car, but I felt like, you know, it was kind of like bigger than a Batmobile. And I went out and I bought this big poster that had the bat symbol. You know what I'm talking about? This, the black oval with a big bat symbol, Batman symbol. And uh, I waited till April Fool's Day. And I, he parked it perfect that day. And in a place that when he came out of the office and got in his car, he wouldn't notice the passenger side. And so I stuck this big bat symbol on the side of his car. He drove that thing all over town for a couple of days. People would honk and wave, hey, Batman, you know, I don't know. But it took him a couple of days. My kids, my kids, um, okay, so my kids worked hard and they earned some money and they had cars by the time they were driving and I couldn't leave well enough alone. So I bought, you know when you have a, when, you know, the, the dump truck, when they go into reverse, it goes, ee, 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 that thing? Well, those beepers are cheap. <laughs> They're not that expensive. Five or ten bucks, you can get yourself a really good loud beeper. And so I worked for a period of time before April Fool's Day to install beepers hooked up to the reverse taillight, the reverse backup button, and then I put switches in. Because I wasn't getting out at you know, four in the morning to do this on April Fool's Day. I needed to go out and just flip a switch. So, you know, kids have their different temperaments, and their cars were parked that neither of them had to back up to leave our house. So they just drove off. And of course, when, um, when, when Rachel had to leave wherever she was at and back out, you know, she's hearing this sound, what is that noise? And you know, you know, I, I didn't get to enjoy anything but the afterglow. I don't know what happened. Now, Joseph, if you know my son Joseph, he loves a good joke, and he actually liked the attention. In fact, he left that thing on for months and months and months. And he would embarrass his mother. Hey, he would just park where they'd be sitting waiting to leave some store or something. He'd put it in reverse and keep his foot on the brake. And she'd be going, come on, turn that off. I mean, okay, so there was a certain non-serious aspect to living and growing up in the Fisher household. I mean, I didn't even tell you about wrapping saran wrap over the top of the toilet bowl, but not being the seat. That wasn't me, that was Lisa. I'm pretty sure about it. And I remember hearing something, some story about an octopus in a bathtub. But anyway, so there was, there was all these things that would go on. <laughs> Others in this room may have participated in some of these stories. But, um, you know, there were lots of times where you would be having, you, 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 you kind of had to watch your six growing up. I mean, you had to watch your back, okay? The downside of having a lot of fun, the cautious part of this tale is when you say something and you really want to be taken seriously and believed, there were times that they would go, uh, okay, what? Where's the camera? You know, what's, you know, but no, no, I'm really serious here. We, sometimes you'd say things and they would go, yeah, really? Sure? Are you sure? And as a parent, there are times when you want your children to understand you really mean what you say. And so we did a lot of playful stuff at home, but we had to also develop kind of a lexicon with our kids. You know, there will be times where we play, but there will other be times that um, when dad says, I promise, or I mean it, we really, really mean it, you know. Um, 
God's word is true. Santa is pretend kind of things. You've got to have those conversations sometimes, right? And um, so we had to work at that. There, was, there were things that we would just say with our kids. There were time and place. And I don't remember all of the cues and the signals, but there were places that we would establish with them, no, this is the real thing. This is no joke. It's, it's a serious promise. And the thing is that people don't always keep their promises, do they? You notice that? I mean, I mean you might say, well, something came up and I, was, I, I, was, I had no choice. I was forced to change. Or, um, you know, I, I meant to do it. I just, I just failed, you know, that, that human factor that comes up, right? Not, I'm not justifying, I'm just saying it's part of our fallen and cursed world, right? And then there are times where you might just say, you know, oh, I forgot. I just plain forgot. But we need to understand that when God says, I promise, it's just nothing like the human kind of promise. God doesn't forget. God never fails. He always, always, always follows through. God's promises, therefore, are always true. God's promises are always true. A promise, basically, is a declaration of what somebody's going to do. By the way, uh, when, when, you know, in, in a promise, there's, a, there's, a, there's an accountability that comes with any promise. You know, the character of the person making the promise is right out there on the line. Wouldn't you agree? Somebody makes a promise. If you say... I'll do this, and you've given your word. There's, there's, and, and it saddens me, the number of people who, even in the body of Christ, and sometimes even Christian leaders, who, who um, will give no great thought or concern about breaking their word. And Psalm 15 asks this question. It says, Lord, who may abide in your, in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And there's a lot of discussion in that passage. And uh, verse 4 is one of the answers. And it says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's the man or that's the woman who keeps their word even if circumstances change and it's harder. That's who may abide in the Lord's holy hill. If we give our word, we've got to follow through. <laughs> and of course, people imperfect people, even with our absolute best intentions, that doesn't always happen. But those kinds of failures just do not happen with God. God's promises are always true from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. In fact, the Word of God is full of a lot of promises. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples. We're not going to go through them all today. Some people have counted and said there are over 3,000 promises. I've heard other people with huge numbers, six, seven, eight thousand, more than that. Um, I don't know about that, but um, there are lots and lots. So here's just a couple of examples that you probably would know. God promised Noah that he would never again destroy the world by a flood. You can see that in Genesis 9. He promises to Abraham a place and innumerable descendants um, in Genesis 12. That was an unconditional promise. God makes this promise to him. It wasn't based on something that they would do. He just made that promise. And you can see that in Genesis 12. He promised to deliver the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt in Exodus 6. He promised blessings to the people of Israel um, um, if they were going to try to keep, if they were going to keep the law in Deuteronomy 28. He promised victory to, to Joshua over the Canaanites. He, he, he promises an everlasting throne to a descendant of David. And that's the second saying. There's, there's so many. This is just kind of starts to scratch the surface. The, the, the Bible is overflowing with promises. They kind of just bubble up over the top that God has made. And God is, all of the time, 
giving his assurances to people about what he intends to do. In fact, I, you, know, you could almost look at the scripture as big giant promise. The Old Testament promises that uh, the Messiah will come, and in the New Testament he arrives. In fact, you know, God all through this communication is saying to you, I promise, I promise, I promise. It's all over in the word. The very way that you and I relate to God is determined by whether we believe his promises. Do you believe his promises? It's a great question for you to ask yourself. Now, I want to just make a point of clarification. Promises are not what we might re refer to as something that's revealed that we treasure, some truth about God. For an example, um, Jesus said, says in, in John chapter 16, he says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's not a promise. It's just a simple statement of fact and truth. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now, there's an implied belief that I've overcome it, so you'll overcome it too, but that statement is not a promise. It's just a, it's just this truth about God, and it should encourage you. It's just a wonderful thing we learn, and, um, but it's not a promise. But a promise involves something that's a little bit more specific than that. A promise from God is, we'll define it this way, as an assurance that God gives his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. I'm going to let that soak in. That's what a promise from God is. It's a, an assurance that God gives his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. Because, frankly, if the things that I need from God will just come whenever I think that they'll... They, I, I need something, God, and it just instantly is mine, you know, that'd be great. But most often, it doesn't work out quite like that. You know, there's... Reality is that sometimes I, I get some sort of a word or, or a promise, and, um, and, and, and that promise from the Lord is what I hold on to while I'm making my way through and waiting for that to happen. I think you probably can identify with that. <coughs> David, you know, you know the, in, in, David, who's, you know, you, you know the story of David, probably. He, he said this, he said, I would have despaired unless I believed that, w that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what David said. I would have despaired. Well, how'd you make it through there, David? Well, I held on to the promises of God. I, I took the things that God's word said in the, in the middle of this crisis, and I'm holding on to I couldn't have gone forward one more day if I didn't believe the things that God told me. Now I'm just waiting for God to work. And you ask, well... How do you manage to go on that kind of stuff, David? He says, I just review the promises. I'm, I keep going back to the promises. Because when I walk by sight, it doesn't look all that good right now. All I see are the problems and the bumps and the pits for me to fall into. So I'm going to go, God says, I'm going to give you these promises so that, so that you can get through the long nights. So you can get through, you know, the, the difficult days. Hang on to the things I told you. These are my assurances to you so you can walk by faith while you wait for me to work in your life. So back to our main text, 2 Peter 1, verse 4. God's promises, it says, are great. Great. So what's so great about God's promises? I'm kind of glad you asked. Thank you. <laughs> God's promises are great because several reasons. Number one, they come from a great God. 
The promises are great because of who said them. If your four-year-old says to you, hey, don't worry, mom. Next week, I'm going to start taking care of bringing home the groceries and cooking the dinners. <laughs> I promise. You're going to think, oh, that's cute. You know, pat him on the head, but you're going to go, not so much. I'm not really quite sure because um, I don't really think you'll keep that. You're able to keep that promise. So who, who's, it's all tied up in who's making the promise. And God's promises are great because they come from a great God. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord, his greatness no one can fathom. So let me ask you, do you know how great God is? I don't think you do. In fact, I'm certain you don't. Because no one can fathom his greatness. You think you know how good God is? You don't. I don't. I study a lot. I don't know how good God is. Great is the Lord. That's crazy. We think we know. He says in Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Sometimes we look at you know, what we're facing and we say, God, I cannot do this. And you know, it's like he's saying, I know, I know. But is anything too hard for me? Great. God is great. Okay, second, God's promises are great because second thing is they cover great issues. God doesn't make a lot of promises about dumb stuff. Okay, so I would suggest you don't search the Bible, you know, for all kinds of silly assertions about surface things. God just really doesn't do that. The promises that God makes are about big things. For example, God prom makes promises about fear, things that we would fear. God makes promises about our finances. He makes promises about our future. He talks, he makes promises about our family. These are all things I care. I want to know more about these. God makes promises about that. God, God makes promises about doubt. What's going to happen? What's up ahead? I, I just, I'm just not too sure. Am I going to be okay? God makes promises about that so you don't have to wonder. He makes these promises about big issues like fear and doubt. And I hope that this is not about anybody present today in this room or anybody that you know or care about, but, but there could be somebody here who's on the edge of despair. Despair is as bad as it gets. It really, it's, it's like, I don't care anymore. Nothing's going to change. It's always going to be like this. I don't, I, I mean, it, it doesn't matter anymore. My hope is lost. That's Despair. David said, I would have despaired if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Did you catch that? He's going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not in heaven. I'm going to see it right here, he's saying. I'm going to see it on this earth. I'm going to see it while I'm still here. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord, David said. I would despair if I didn't believe that. That's the kind of stuff God makes promises about. So God's promises are great. Because they come from a great God, and because they are, cover great issues. And number three, because they bring us great comfort. 2 Corinthians 1. Now, this is one of those kind of difficult to read passages, because the same word gets repeated several times in sentences, so we'll just kind of go through this slow enough, just so kind of, I need to go through it slow enough for it to make sense to me. So forgive me if I'm reading this too slow, okay? This is for me, and I hope that it helps you for us just take our time on this. So starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Okay, got that? Got that so far? Okay, for, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You go through some hard times, but the comfort is as amazing as the difficulty. Okay, verse 6. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, okay? For, for we do not want to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction, we, uh, want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Despair. That's how overwhelmed we felt. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why is this happening, God? So that you'll rely not on yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope and that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. So his promises are great because they give us great comfort. And his promises are great because, number four, they lead to a great life. The person resting in the promises of God has a great life. They can have a confident life. They, they, they believe that good things are in store for them. That's what the promises of God do. And God's reputation is on the line. And he said some things, and he's promised to do some things. And, and if you get on those things, if you get a hold to those things, you're going to win in the end. That's what the promises do. You absolutely will win. And that's what the promises are all about. That's why he says they're not just great. He says they're exceedingly great. Greater than anything else. That's the promises of God. They're greater than anything else. For example, they're greater than human wisdom. <laughs> you know, you can call that person, you can call, you know, your brother or your sister or, you know, they don't, they, they, you know, your mom, your boss, your neighbor, you can call those people and it's good to get human, you know, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, I get all that, but it's not at the same level as the promises of God. I mean, in fact, without, you know, meaning to disrespect people, wise people speaking to your life, and you should do that, compared to the promises of God, all that they have to say is this, blah, 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 Okay. That's really the category that the promises of God, you know, God has said some things and he has spoken and his, the things he says are greater than human wisdom. Okay, second thing that um, the promises of God are greater than anything else is greater than headbutting willpower. Tried that? <laughs> I think my head wouldn't be quite so pointed. It's kind of pointed now. It's bound, pounded now. I mean, have you ever tried, you know, have you ever tried to say, okay, I'm going to be... I'm going to headbutt my way through this problem, push, you know. I mean, well-meaning comments have been said that would come, sound maybe like this, you know. Just hang on, 
We'll get through this. Flip a couple more pages on the calendar. That will fix this. Something is dulled over the passage of time, but time in itself won't fix it. And I think that's an awful way to get through something. God's promises are better than that. You know, there's this restfulness, this confidence, this, this an ability to be able to go on even in the most difficult circumstances if you're resting in the promises of God. It's a supernatural thing. It just is a supernatural thing. When the Lord would supernaturally say to you, don't count it lost. The promises are exceedingly great, greater than human wisdom, greater than head-butting willpower. Third thing, they're greater than camping out at self-pity. Okay? View self-pity as like the nice little bonfire that you can't take your eyes off of. Right? Um, and uh, I, I, with all sensitivity and compassion for what you may be facing and what you carry, self-pity is never good for you. It really isn't. It, it's, it's terrible for you in the long term, and it's, it's dangerously comfortable for you in the short term. It pulls you in, and it's attractive. And long term, it's just so destructive. So, okay, you know, Spend a day of that if that's what will help you. Get your sea legs. But then get up and get a hold of the promises of God. And go forward. And then walk by faith. You know, he, God will not let you down. His exceedingly great and precious promises. They're, they're the best thing. They're the very, very best. There's, no, there's not a second place. There's not a third place that would even show up. There's nothing even, even remotely like the promises of God. They're going to get you through the, the absolute darkest, darkest night. Nights are when it gets dark, right? When you're alone with your own thoughts. They'll get you through that. They'll get you through the longest day. They'll get you through the deepest valley, this, this assurance. I know what God can do. He made me a promise, and I'm going to hold on to that promise. That's why he says in Second Peter 1 in our text that through Jesus, that, that have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That word precious, that's a great word. It's not a word that kindergartners use a lot. In fact, I don't think any kindergartners will ever use that word in conversation unless it's kind of fed to them, right? They don't understand. Um, the reason is that when you're young, you really don't know what's valuable, most fourth or kindergartners, four-year-olds, you know, they think quick is valuable. They think now is valuable, right? They think easy is valuable. But the older you get, the more you realize that precious takes time. It takes time. I was thinking about an article I read early in the morning today. I was just, you know, there's an island in Japan um, where they've discovered a whole bunch of what are called rare earth elements. You and I don't care about yttrium and europium and those kinds of things very much. Unless you have a cell phone, then you care a lot because there are some of those rare earth elements that are required to make your cell phone work and the screen work. Okay, this is my, I'm going off on a nerd trail here for just a minute. And 95% of those rare earth elements are controlled and located and mined in China. And so the nation of China has the, the market cornered and they can kind of exercise some control around the rest of the world over those issues. Well, this little island of, um, off of Japan, it's 1,100 miles away from Japan. It's 300 acres in the middle of the ocean, 1,100 miles in the middle of the ocean. 
And if you go um, a quarter of a mile out, the depth gets to 3,000. It's deep. And that's not where they are. You've got to go off that island 160 miles. They've discovered huge troves of these rare earth elements. They they're just happen to be in the bottom of the ocean. But there are so many that they're saying it will provide a nearly infinite supply to the whole earth for hundreds of years. I mean, this is like lots of... Here's the problem. They're three and a half miles deep. And then they're not on the surface. You've got to go down six feet, and that's where you start finding them in a layer of mud that's another 15 feet deep. So you've got to go between you're three and a half miles deep. <laughs> Isn't this crazy? That's these precious elements. How must they be precious to us if we're going to go after them there? That's not an easy dig. Precious um, takes time. When Peter was young... He was kind of impetuous. You read a lot of stories, especially when he was young in the Lord. He did things like cut off people's ears, right? And he hadn't thought that through, which is a great, great story. Here's Jesus being betrayed in the garden. He, and Peter pulls out his sword, and he's protecting Jesus. And this has nothing to do with today's scripture, but I love telling the story. And, and he cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. And scripture actually says that Jesus healed the guy. You know, here, let me, let me stick that back on your head. You picture that moment? How could you, if you were that soldier, ever not believe in Christ? My ear was on the floor, and now it's back, and it works. In fact, I can hear what they're saying around the corner now. My ear works so good. Anyway, that has nothing to do with precious. Peter was this impetuous guy, okay? And, and he's, it's, this is about 64 years after Christ, 60-some years. And it's, it's, it's very now close to when Peter himself is going to pay the ultimate price for his allegiance to Jesus. They're going to execute him. And this passage that we've been reading from Second Peter is, um, you know, it's only been a matter of weeks or maybe months just before he's about to be executed. And in fact, scripture tells us about Peter that he had mellowed so much by then and had settled down so much. He was no longer impetuous. Um, and, but he didn't feel worthy to be executed the way Christ was. So they literally crucified him upside down because he didn't want to be, he didn't, didn't feel like he should be. Anyway, so here we are just a, a short time before and Peter wrote this passage and, and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he really, really likes the word precious. He talks about the precious blood of Jesus. He talks about our precious faith. He talks about precious stones, referencing you and me, believers, followers. He talks about a precious Savior. And here, precious promises. Precious is a time word. It takes time in life to get to where you realize what really does have value. Peter was slower and softer and quieter, I think, as he grew older, and he knew what was precious. Okay, the second thing, precious takes proving. Something isn't precious until you've proven it. You know, I have to say, when I read this passage, my mind is polluted a little bit, right? Because when you hear the word precious, what do you think of? I think of this creepy little guy. <laughs> okay. From the Lord of the Rings movies, okay, admittedly, I'm not here to promote the movies. I'm just going to say, it's just, it's just a fantasy. It's just me. It doesn't mean anything. But there's this creepy little golem guy crawling around, hey, precious. You know, I don't want to imitate it. I can't. You guys, I got some precious imitations from other leaders before church, and I just got schooled by them, so I'm just not going to try it even at all. But do you want to see my imitation of precious? 
Would you come up here and do one for me? That's precious. Okay, so. uh, <laughs> but here's this thing. If you've seen the movies, you know the, the, the concept is this, this guy named Gollum. And he's completely upside down. He's, he's no longer himself. And he believes that this ring has a power to do for him what nothing else can do. Something is precious to you when you understand it can do for you what nothing else can do. And when Peter says the promises are precious, he knew it personally. He knew it. I have to say, over my years of walking with the Lord, um, you know, I've memorized some promises, and you probably have too. And, and I confess right now that at times it was, it was rote and perhaps even a little bit glib. You know, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Uh, you know, it's like my heart will trust in him. He will help me. You know, maybe you've learned that passage. And I agree that's true and it's meaningful and I'm sure it was doing something in me because the word of God will not return void is doing those things. But, but it wasn't precious to me and here's why. I had never actually put my weight down upon that scripture. I, I'd never really had to have the Lord, you know, be my strength and my shield because I'm a pretty capable guy. I can get by was my attitude. <laughs> But it's precious to me now. I am putting my weight down on the promises of God now. I mean, I can tell you there are at least two really significant and important areas, I would say, of our lives, Lisa's and my lives, where we are trying to not walk by sight, but walk by faith. And we are trying to keep our feet standing on the tops of the promises of God. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but I can just tell you, we're standing on promises. And it's a big deal to us. It's a very big deal to us. And when you put your weight down on the promises of God, they hold you up. They do. They strengthen you. They sustain you. And that's the place that they become precious to you too. Because they've been proven. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And it's not just something that's happened in my head. It's... It's in my life, and it's held me up. The promises have been proven, and that's why they become precious. The, the, the promises of God are exceedingly great and precious. Can I ask you to repeat those words, exceedingly great and precious? Exceedingly great and precious. Thank you. I just pray that those words now will get stuck in your soul. Because I want the promises of God to find a place to perch and to, to live not to be in your head, but to actually live there in your soul. They're exceedingly great and precious. They do for us what nothing else can do. They solve problems that nothing else can solve. Now, I hesitate to tell you what I'm going to say to you because it will become accountable to you. This is not a promise, okay? This is something I am trying I'm, I know that my messages have been getting a little longer lately, so I'm making an intentional effort to shorten them. So, this is the foundation for the series. 
What we've gone through today is the foundation for this series that we're going to be talking about God's promises for life storms. Next week, we're going to talk about God's promises concerning fear. Fear. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, um, as we come to the one who brings not just the life that's blooming in springtime outside, but eternal life, it's with reverence and love and trust that we come to you, Lord. I pray, God, that there would be a willingness in hearts today to turn from sin, to, to acknowledge a need for a, a holy and loving God. And Lord, that we can lay hold of your promises. That, Lord, we're not alone. That your promises are first and they're best. And, and Lord, I pray that there would be an availability right now in hearts to hear the good news of the gospel. That, that, that you love people so much that you didn't want anyone to perish. You don't want anyone to spend eternity in hell. That all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. Scripture says that. And you weren't trying to recruit people to join churches. You were trying to recruit people in a loving relationship with the Creator who, who sent His Son to save us from our sins. Eyes are closed now. If you have never opened your heart to the King, to Jesus, to settle your eternity forever, I just want to encourage you right now to do that. And you can't do that by being a good person or coming to church. You do that by acknowledging you are imperfect therefore you're a sinner and you need saving and Jesus is the way the truth and the life would you like to open your heart to the Lord just let me agree with you it's kind of dark out there so give me a wave and I'll pray with you okay Lord thank you thank you Lord for your promises help us Lord to be people who would step out onto those rather than what we see Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have you stand with us.